Can we give it up for the Metro Praiseites? <laughs> Probably could think of another better name than that, but that's okay. I have uh, special guests in town today, and uh, they were here for the grand opening, but I really want to give them some time today to talk because we're talking about family. And if it wasn't for me, I wouldn't, if it wasn't for the family that I had, I wouldn't be serving the Lord today. And as I was just sharing about being brought up in this, I remember the first allowance my parents ever gave me. They told me what belonged to the Lord and what I could keep. So I'm just going to ask that uh, my dad would come forward representing uh, the family and talk a little bit about family. Can we give it up for Jim Wyrostick? Praise the Lord. Saints, come on now. Praise God. Hey, come on, praise the Lord. Hey, we're praising the Lord today. My God is a God that supplies all our needs according to His riches and glory. Amen? Wow. Metro Praise. You know, I remember the first time I heard Metro Praise in New Orleans. Metro Praise, come on. We're praising His name. Come on. No, but really... One of the things, we're excited to be here. I am so excited about Metro Praise and each and every one of you. If if you were to be part of my prayer time, uh, when I I seek the Lord, I pray for you guys all the time. And I thank the Lord for what he's doing in each and every one of your lives. I've watched you grow as a family. And it's exciting. It's exciting to watch. Because as we draw closer to the Lord, he'll draw close to us. And he meets every one of our needs. And uh, Joe just kind of put me on the spot a little bit, but I could talk about the family all day long. Amen? I've got good things to say about the family, and i got some things that we've had some challenges in the family. Anybody have challenges in the family? Anybody have challenges in your family? Amen. You know, challenges really produce blessing. We've had some challenges But one thing that we know for sure throughout those challenges, the thing that is the foundation of every family has to be the Lord. Period. There's no no getting around it because people will fail you. Your finances will fail you. Circumstances will fail you. But God will never fail you. And he'll always be there. Stay strong in the Lord. Stay close to the. Stay close to God all the time. I tell Joe and I tell everybody that I meet, guard your heart, and protect your testimony. The Bible tells us why do we guard our heart? Because out of it flows the issues of life. And why do we protect our testimony? Because the Bible says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The devil doesn't like you. Believe me, he hates you. He has. He has. He has nothing good for you. He hates you. He came to rob, steal, and destroy. And what he wants most from you is your testimony. He wants your testimony. So as you go through challenges with, with, uh, with family, with friends, whatever it is, stay close to the Lord and guard your heart. I want to turn it over to my wife because she can explain family situation a lot better than I can. Is that all right? We've got a few minutes. I'm so glad that um, I have the microphone. Um, I always said, Joe, beware of giving me the microphone because I can talk about stories all day. But, you know, um, I was a single woman with three children. And just about every other day I said, God, send me a Christian husband. And he sent me Jim. And so Jim married me with three children. 
And after we were married uh, a couple years, we had Joe. But anyway, the thing that I, I have to tell you, men, when I married Jim, uh, he was the priest of our home. He was the head of our home. And he set things in order. Uh, I'm Italian, and I used to like to throw things and upset the card a little bit. But Jim said, oh, we're not going to have that here. And uh, Italians like to talk loud. They like to scream. They like to shout a little bit. And uh, Jim said, you're not going to talk to me that way. And so uh, one of the biggest reasons that we had an awesome marriage, and we've been married 37 years. <laughs> hallelujah. The reason why we had such an awesome marriage is because this man of God uh, took his place in the home. So I really encourage you men, even though you may have an Italian woman or a Polish woman, whoever she is, uh, uh, take your place in the home. And uh, I had three children, and uh, they went awry for different reasons, the drugs and the alcohol, sleeping around and stuff like that. And Jim said to me, that'll never happen with Joe because he's been raised in a Christian home. Well, at the age of 13... Guess what? It started to happen. Just with smoking cigarettes that was not allowed in our home, and he started to go awry, and it progressively got worse. And that's when I had to grab a hold of God in our family. And I'm telling you, you can go to a lot of churches around town, but there's going to be a time that you're going to come in your life, you're going to have crisis. All of us are going to have crisis in our family. And when that crisis comes... You better know where to turn and who to turn to. And I turned to the Lord. And there were many times where I had to just put headphones on and a cassette player and walk around the neighborhood and had Christian music blaring in my ears because I didn't know what to say. God knew. And I looked around at my son, and every time I looked at him, he, I, it was discouraging. People, he, brought, he brought friends into the home. I could just feel the evil presence in the home. And my mother, because she knew Joe, said, you know, he's going to be a lawyer. He just talks, talks, talks all the time. And I said, no, Mom, he's been called of the Lord. He's going to minister the gospel. And for all those years that he went awry and he was on the streets doing everything that you could think of, I claimed a verse for Joe. And I said, Lord, and I didn't know he had the word in him. You know, the enemy will speak to you in your family and say, you know, uh, uh, they don't know anything. They're turning their back around the Lord. But, you know, he was raised in church, and the Word says that his Word would not return void. God said that. And so Joe had, one time one of his friends came over and said that when Joe would get high or drunk, he would preach the Word. And so I knew then that he had the Word. And I said, Lord, let that Word burn like a fire and break those hard places in his heart. And you know what? If you know Joe for a very long, very short time, you know that Word burns like a fire. So I can come here and say that God's word is true and he's faithful. He does over and above. And, you know, I told God, I says, you know, God, if you never do anything more for me but that you just saved Joe and turned his way around, you've done enough. But, you know, that's not the God that we serve. Our God is a God that's over and above and abundant, and he just keeps giving and giving and giving. So I'm here to encourage you. You know, we're talking about families today. And families don't always act right. You know, you can come to church all the time, and your husband can do this, or your son can do that. But I know a God. And, you know, the enemy is so stupid and so ignorant. You know, he had Joe. He had him every which way. But God, he said, but God. But anyway, you know, and he wanted to, he got to the point where he wanted to destroy Joe. See, that's where the enemy went over the line. 
And God said, I've called them for a purpose. And he gave them the highest calling in the land. This is the highest calling to preach his word. And God has been faithful to, uh, God has been faithful to him, and he has been faithful to preach his word. You know, he was on drugs and alcohol, kicked out of high school and everything. And, you know, the enemy tried to destroy his mind. But, you know, he just found out he's on the dean's list in seminary. What do you say about that, devil? What do you want to say about that? And, you know, when he was in high school, he was doing all these kind of things. We couldn't brag on him because he was doing this and he was doing that, you know. But now I got the chance, and I'm going to brag. I'm going to brag, and I'm going to be thankful. Thank you, Lord, for saving Joe and giving him the calling that you have. Thank you. We can see where we get the talking and preaching from. We can see where we get it from. Praise God. Genesis 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 26, we're going to talk today about the happy home versus the broken family. My parents surprised me yesterday. didn't even know that this was coming on the agenda. So what an answer to prayer. You got to see a taste of the family I come from. But as you're turning to Genesis chapter 1, I want all of you to be honest with yourself right now. And I want you to rate your family from 0 to 10. Zero to ten. And so let me help you with your rating right now. If you're married and you have a family, this is the family you're talking about. If you're a young person and you're not yet started a family, the family you came from is the family that you're judging right now. And I want you to be honest with yourself. Zero to ten. A broken family would be a family where maybe someone's growing up without a mother or a father. Maybe there's drugs, alcohol, addictions in the home. Maybe there's screaming and yelling, abuse, sexual, physical, mental abuse. That would be a zero. Rating around a five would be an up and down family. This would be a family, yeah, we have our ups, but we also have our downs. Maybe there's some good days, but there's also some bad days. And it just doesn't seem like you can't break free from that cycle. That would be around a five. Or ten would be today you're serving God doesn't mean you're perfect but people in your family are serving God you see God on the move and you would say we're a happy family so I want you right now to rate your family between 0 to 10 and husbands and wives can compare notes after service and see what you thought about it sometimes the husband will say it's a 10 and the wife will say it's a 2 and that's why we're here today amen and all the married people said amen don't look at me crazy I've been in too many marriage counselings to not know that one And I want us all to know that it doesn't matter where you're at on this scale today. God has a word for you to give us all a happy family. Now, the first thing that I want to do is I want to take away the myth that a happy family doesn't argue. Happy families will argue. Happy families, where people say happy families won't have troubles. That's not correct. Happy families will go through troubles, finances, sicknesses. Things will happen in the family. But a happy family, another word for that, the Bible says, is blessed. And that means God is with you. That means whatever you go through God is on your side and so today if you are a blessed family we're going to give you the tools that you've already been using encourage you to keep using them if you're anywhere less than that we're going to give you the reminder and the knowledge if you've never heard it before of the tools to make your uh, your family happy and blessed can you say amen amen the first thing that we want to talk about is that God created the family so family isn't something that just happened by accident married with children and Al Bundy didn't make it up this came from 
from God. It's a God-ordained institution. Look at Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our own image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in your number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Everybody say, be fruitful. And everybody say, increase. This is the divine command to get married, make love, and make babies. Here it is. Sex is not a bad thing. Let's just talk about it a little bit right now. We're all uh, over the age of puberty, at least to be in here. Those that are under that age are in our children's room. So here is what the Bible talks about, the meaning of sex. The meaning of sex is for two to come together and to be fruitful and increase. And I can't talk about that without getting into homosexuality because Today in our culture, this is now trying to be put upon us as a definition of a family. Well, in the 1950s, I could have just said a family. Everybody would have understood a family, and we would have moved right along. But today, this is permeating the schools, the marketplace, and our government right now uh, uh, as the definition of what is a family. Is a family unit just when people get together and love each other? Well, then me, my dog, and the, and the farm animals could be a family by that definition. Where does the definition of family come from? We believe as a nation that the definition of family comes from God, our creator. And my friends, not to get political, tell you who to vote for, but we need to defend that definition, that a family is what God said it was. Amen? Now, let me just give you some reasons on why God said this, not to make light or to to joke around. There are people in this church that have come from a homosexual, lesbian, or bisexual lifestyle. You may be sitting them uh, right now. Your pastor may have come from that. You don't know that. That's none of your business. We don't judge people that way. We don't make different rankings of sin. As a matter of fact, adultery, uh, uh, cheating, immorality, pornography has done more to destroy our families than homosexuality. So before we point a finger at them, we need to point fingers at us and get the pornography out and get out the adultery in Jesus' name. Because it happens all over the place in the church. And we'll point at the homosexuals, we'll pick it with our signs, and the house of God is dirty. But nonetheless, it doesn't take away the truth of the Word of God. Number one, God defined a family as male and female. That's what He did. When you look at your sexual organs, when a body goes through puberty, you understand why you're a male, you understand why you're a female. If somebody said, what if they were born without their genitalia? Well, we pray for them. We use medical science to find a gender. I'm telling you, people make all types of excuses, but we don't change what God gave us to another gender. Today, people want to be now another gender. And you you, you say to them, why do you want to do that? Well, they say, I was born this way. But then you look at them and say, no, you weren't. You were born this way. They say, well, there's a battle in my mind. Do you know, my friends, that this has been on the books of psychiatric discussion for many years as a mental disorder right next to people who believe they shouldn't have limbs on their body? There's actually a small percentage of people that would say this arm is disgusting to me and it shouldn't be on my body. It's right next to that type of disorder. Anorexia is another type of that disorder where people look at themselves, they're skinny, they're emaciated, but yet they say they're fat. 
And there were people actually in England that when somebody would come to them and say, I don't feel like I should have an arm, there would actually be doctors that would remove the arm from them. This is on the books. This is not just pseudoscience. I'm telling you, this is the truth. And we've always thought that genity crisis was a gender crisis was a gender disorder. But now in our culture, we're making room for that. My friends, God created you and created us male and female. That's the first thing. The second thing is that healthy males, healthy females reproduce children. That is the reason for sexual activity. Somebody might say, well, what if we can't have children? Does that mean we're not a normal family or a normal couple? That is not the point. If you cannot produce a family, if there's something in your body, there means that there is a sickness. That means that there is something wrong. We pray for you. We will help you. No, medicine helps you. But what we don't say is that because you can't have children, that the design of God is flawed. The design of God is not flawed. As you've learned through suffering and the reason why there's pain and, and sickness on this earth, it's because of sin. Sin has come and corrupted the hard drive or corrupted the files that God put in us called our DNA. Amen? So the first thing is, is God created us male and female. And the second reason is, is so that male and female can have offspring. If all the little bunnies, man bunnies, went with all the other men bunnies, there would be no more bunnies. Are you all listening to me? If all the female bunnies went with all the female bunnies, how many bunnies would be left? No more bunnies. God created us to get together. Look at your neighbor and say, get together. And be careful how you say that, single people. (laughs) We ain't talking about getting together the wrong way, what they call hooking up. What we're talking about is in holy matrimony. The Bible talks about in the New Testament that the marriage bed should be honored by all and undefiled. So that means when a husband and wife get together, they shut the door, they can do whatever they want in Jesus' name with what God has given them. Amen? As long as it's between two consenting adults. Now, single people don't get mad at me. I'm just blessing the married people right now. You can have a heavenly experience, praise the Lord. And that's what God designed it for so that procreation could become a fun recreation. Amen? Wouldn't that be something if procreation just hurt and it's just, ah, I don't want to do it. But God made it fun. Why did he make your body that way? Because he wants you to procreate. That's the plan. Look at your neighbor and say, sex is not a bad thing. And then the third thing that God gave us our families for is so that we could increase and subdue the earth. Many, many of our families, like my mom, coming from an Italian family, come from countries that we know that uh, everything hasn't been modernized. So meaning, if you're growing up on a farm, you would want a lot of children to become farmers so you can subdue the earth. If you were living in a place where fishing was your business, that was, is what you wanted. So when God created us, he said, subdue the earth. Have as many children as you want, like the Duggars, and just subdue the earth. Well, today we don't live in a rural culture. We live in a modern culture, and we're almost convinced, listen to me, my friends, by our culture that having more than one to two children is wrong. Like in Seattle and Los Angeles and San Francisco, it's more, you know, it's more a, a hip to have three and four dogs than to have three and four children. Some people look at big families today and go, oh, what's wrong with you guys? And I'm telling you, that's because we're backwards in our minds. Family and children, the Bible says, are blessings from the Lord. Now, we don't believe that you can't use birth control, but we certainly believe that abortion is sin. And so what we say to every person here, especially when they're getting married, they're young couples, how many couples? Couples have just been married in this last year. Make some noise. 
I thought there would be more here, but somewhere in the nursery, that's okay. Well, praise God. Well, so right there, when we sit down and talk with them, yes, you can plan a, a child, plan your family using safe birth control. But understand that an accident to you is not an accident to God. Children are blessings from the Lord. And I think we need more people to spend more on their children than they do on their cars and their TVs and their clothes. I think we actually have more than what we think we have. Well, I can't afford a child. Really? You're 40 years old, you live uptown Chicago, and you drive a Lamborghini, you can't afford one? You know, that's the culture that we live in. And that's not what the Bible said. I believe we could have a lot more children if we would have a lot less of these things. And that's why when I tell people my goal is to have 12 children, amen, a football team and a substitute, praise God. The, you know, the 12 tribes of Israel, we want to have 12 people like, oh, what's wrong with you? No, I just want to be fruitful and multiply. If you just want to be fruitful and multiply, have a few, that's fine. We want to have a lot. Amen. And I would rather my kids grow up in a big family, a lot of children loving God. And the worst thing they can say is, I had to share a bed. than for one child to grow up in a big house and never know God, never know a father that prayed for them. Are you listening to me? There's nothing wrong with sharing a bed and getting some hand-me-downs. You see, today we put our things backwards. God ordered the family. He created it. He created it male and female. He created it to be fruitful and to increase. And he created those children to go out and subdue the earth. Can you say amen? Amen. The second principle that we want to learn today is that God gave the family order. And that's what my mother was talking about. And I'm so thankful she brought that up because that plays such a key role. We know that two people can fall in love, and guess what? They can fall out of love. It's not just the emotion of love that makes a family. And especially today, do you know that for the first time, for the first time, my friends, in the American culture, there are just as many single parents as there are married families. So for the first time, the single families, nothing wrong with single mothers. My mother was a single mother, but we know this wasn't God's perfect order. Are you following me? Now has numbered as much as the married people. And I'm telling you, the culture of America will continue in this trend, and it will be more normal, more popularized, more as a trend to not have a father and a mother present in your house. God have mercy, my friends. I could keep you right now with giving you statistics on fatherless homes, just fatherless homes, because generally in our culture, the women will take the children. Here's just a few. The children that come from fatherless homes are more likely to get involved in crime. They're more likely to repeat the same thing of them being a fatherless uh, father to their children, and they're more likely to not do as well in school. These are the statistics. If you want them, I'll send them to you. So God created an order. It's not just having sex. Marriage is to make the covenant that if people were going to get together and have sex, they would have to make a covenant to stay together. Why would they need a covenant? So that the children would have stability in the home. And now how have we replaced this in our modern, modern culture? People hook up. They live together. You can talk to them and go, how long have you all been living together? Fifteen years? Are you married? No. And the reason with that is because this culture is afraid of commitment. It's afraid of making a covenant. But God loves covenant because covenant talks about trust. Covenant talks about being dependent and faithful to death do us part. And as you've heard in marriage ceremonies, what God has joined together, let no man tear apart. Amen? 
And so marriage is the settlement of a covenant saying we love each other. And the reward of that is sex and the baby. So making love and making the babies. And now together they say we are going to commit to raising these children as a family unit. And that's where Ephesians 5.25 is coming from is that there needs to be order. Now before we get into this, I want you to think about what would happen today in this world if we had no traffic lights. So that means you could drive any old way you want. Now some young people who just got their license, say, yeah dude, I'm going to drive 100 miles an hour. How many adults, that just makes you scared right now that they even think that way. Come on. You can put it together right now. Just imagine somebody gets off this expressway, they got it in fifth gear, they're coming down Irving Park. And what happens? They're going to run into somebody. They're going to accidentally kill somebody. You see, those annoying things at every block in Chicago called traffic lights, they're actually keeping order. Now, I want you to understand something today, parents. The greatest thing you can do for your family is establish order. It may not always be fun to put up a traffic light in your house, it meaning it may not be fun to set rules. It may not be the, the greatest thing to do. Like my dad had to sit down with my mom and say, hey, you're used to throwing plates. This last man you were married to, that's what you got away with. But here, we're not doing that. Okay, that's order. It may not feel good, children, when your parents tell you, this is what you eat, this is what you wear, this is what you think, amen? There's nothing wrong with that, praise God. You want to think on your own, then you can move out the house. I'm just kidding. There's nothing wrong with that. Look at your neighbor and say, there ain't nothing wrong. You see, order in the family is what keeps us from running into each other. So many times people get into marriages and they don't have the rules situated. Meaning, if you were going to play the sport of hockey with basketball rules, there would be some problems. So can you imagine people showing up on a ice rink with gym shoes and, and you know, their outfits, and they're trying to bounce a ball running down the, the, the ice rink. How many know there would be some trouble? And how many know there would be some trouble if you put some hockey players in a basketball game, maybe on roller skates, they're rolling by and doosh, right against the wall and all of that. That would be some trouble. And the problems are is that when people get married, sometimes they're just in love, and they set up no order, and all of a sudden the wife is playing by hockey rules, and the husband's playing by basketball rules, and both of them are saying they're right, but they don't understand they're playing two different games. You see, you have to set the rules in order before you get married. That's why we believe in premarital counseling. And if you've already been married, there's an opportunity to still do that, to set the rules in order. The husband will be this. The wife will be this. We want our kids to be this. We'll discipline like this. We'll spend money like this. This is what we'll do on bad days. This is how we'll celebrate, uh, you know, the good days. And putting things in order. Can you say amen? And look at what Paul said. God gave order first to the husbands. Let's talk to the husbands. Husbands... Love your wives. You see, before we ever talk about the husband being the leader, before we ever talk about the husband being the man, we need to talk about husbands loving your wives. Now, some of you might be single right now and say, man, you know, I wish I was married. This is not a cool service. Let me tell you something. Do you, do you always want to stay single? No. Well, this is going to help you. Amen. Because husband, this is how you get yourself to be a husband. Or man, this is how you get to be a husband. And in our Date Like a Christian book, if you need any help, it's in the back. 
Date like a Christian, it teaches you these things. Amen. Made a little plug there for the book. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Somebody say, love my wife. That might be weird if you're a woman. So just say, husbands, love wives. Thank you. And then he says, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. We are members of his bodies. So I want everybody to write this down. This is the order that God gave to the husband. First of all, husbands are to love their wives as Christ does the church. So when we think about Christ in the church, what did he do for the church? Come down and yell at it and tell it what to do? I'm the man around here. Is that what Jesus came to do? Church, listen up here. I got to get southern when I talk like that. I'm sorry, amen. I lived in the south seven and a half years, amen. Bad memories. No, I'm kidding. I love the south. Husbands, love your wife as Christ does the church. What did God do with the church? Served the church. Jesus laid down his life for the church. That's why we love these stories of romance, don't we, ladies? Come on, ladies, you love the stories of romance, of a man sweeping you off of your feet, him buying you something, sacrificing his own paycheck, him holding your hand in the mall, showing everybody that he loves you. He doesn't care what he looks like in front of his friends. Amen. Giving up football games. Amen. Praise God. Working on the garden and cleaning the house with you. Amen. You see, the Bible talks about husbands serving their wives. It actually gives the illustration of cleaning their wife. Not that the wife is more dirtier than the man, but the Bible is talking about we're all dirty in our imperfections, and it's the husband's job to say, before I clean myself, before I get my own pair of Jordans, or before I watch my football game, I'm supposed to take care of your needs. Where are your imperfections? What do you need? And everybody say, happy wife. Happy life. Because you know, if mama's not happy, nobody. Nobody. I don't care how cliche it is. It is so true. Nobody is happy. Just putting the way the dishes becomes a problem. Amen. You can hear the dishes slamming into the other dishes. You can hear the, the cabinet slamming. You know somebody's not happy. Amen. Number two, to care for her as his own body. And so this idea that the man needs to have everything and the woman stays at home, you know, just cooking and cleaning, wearing her sweats, is not what the Bible says. As a matter of fact, I like to say it like this. Men, the value of your life can be seen on the countenance of your wife's face. Meaning if your wife is happy, if she's put together, if she's blessed, I don't care what you like. I know you're doing something right. Amen. Because to me, the wife reflects the value of the man. If the man values the wife, she'll be happy. And I've had men try to make it up on Valentine's Day. They'll come to me like other men, you know, and they'll like try to impress me, you know. I took her to the Hancock building. I bought her 12 roses. This, that. And I'm like, dude, you're still a jerk because there's 364 days in the year. Just you making it up one day doesn't count for much. It counts for something. Amen, ladies. But it's better to live it 
out. And so, men, I want to tell you something. My, my wife, I told her right from the beginning, romanticism does not come easy to me. I'm not, I don't understand the love songs. It's, it's really hard for me. I said, but one thing that I do know is how to take care of you. I'll open the door for you. You'll never open a door for the rest of your life. My dad has done it for my mom, and we've done it. I said, I'll love you. I'll provide for you. I'll give you all that you need. And you see, that's taking care of her. See, men, sometimes we get this idea that we just have to be romantic. Romanticism is good, but it's overrated. It's the love. It's the care. It's the nurturing. It's the security. It's the nights and bed together. It's the walks in the neighborhood. It's the remembering of the certain things they like and don't like that keep them going together as long as you're putting God first. Amen? At least that's what my wife tells me. Praise God. Number three, respect them so you will not be hindered. Now turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, because the Bible talks about that if a man goes around the house going, I'm the man, I'm the man. Let me tell you something. Chances are you're not the man if you've got to tell everybody, okay? You see, when we look at the Bible, we look at not only is it important for the man to do it, but it's actually uh, connected to his spirituality. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. If you're there, say, I'm there. Thank you. It says, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, I want to keep it real right now with some of the men in this house. How many of you men got into a fight? You told your wife, submit. That's just the way it is. And you went into your prayer closet and God says, no, that's not the way it is. You see, ladies, I want to tell you something. Marry a man of God because he'll know how to hear from God. Your nagging, your pleading, all of that will not work unless he knows how to hear from God. Listen to me. As hard as this may sound to some of you young people right now, especially these girls, maybe you see the star football player, star soccer player, I'm telling you, nothing they can do with all the romanticism will really take care of you like a man of God. It would be better for you to marry someone that on the outside maybe is not your style, your taste, but on the inside is all that and then some and a bag of chips. Because looks are vain, the Bible says. Looks are deceitful. Amen. I mean, just look at how Nancy picked me. Amen. If I wasn't preaching, I wouldn't have had a chance. Amen. But praise the Lord for a preaching anointing. Because the anointing drew her in. Amen. I want that, she said. Okay, but listen, guys, I've got to tell you something right here. You have got to respect them because if you just stomp around and say, God is with me, I'm the man, and you have a real relationship with God. Somebody say a real relationship. I'm not talking about one of these fake ones just on Sunday. You have devotional time with the Lord. You have prayer time. You will get alone with God, and he'll say, son, you go back and say you're sorry. You see, today we're learning the order. Wives, you can tell your husbands they're wrong. You can go into a place and say, yes, you're wrong, you know, privately. I think you're doing things wrong. But I will tell you something. If they don't listen to you right there, you raising your voice, you yelling, you pouting will not get it done. You need to get on your knees and start praying that when he gets in his prayer closet, God will tell him. And I can tell you, testifying as a husband, ladies, I thought I was right. And then in the prayer closet, sometime that day, all of a sudden you see me coming, like a little puppy dog, baby, I was wrong, you know, and then all of a sudden you can feel the joy of the Holy Spirit come back, amen, this is for husbands, and those who have the relationship with God will know what I'm talking about, so love them as Christ loved the church, care for them as your own body, and respect them so that your prayers will not be hindered, now let's go on to the women, everybody say women, 
Let's talk about the wives, praise God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 23 to 24. Wives. Okay, I, I, I got you maybe a little confused right there, but we all going to say it. Wives, submit. I want you all to say the submit word. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Just let it settle in right now. I can see the Italian tempers flaring, the Puerto Rican tempers flaring, all types of people flaring, you know. I'm going to smile because I'm in church. I'm going to pretend like I'm okay with it. Yep, I'm okay. I'm not going to let anybody know. But when we get home, don't you dare try that. You can think, don't you dare. Listen to me. This is good news, women. This is good news because once again, in the natural order, why does the Bible call the woman the weaker vessel? Is it because she has a weak mind? No. We don't believe that. We don't teach that in this church. Women in our church can be leaders. My wife co-pastors with me. But when we're talking about the weaker vessel in the natural, you take an average man and an average woman and have a wrestling match, who's going to win? The average man. That's the way it is. Without drugs, without, you know, all of this other weird stuff our culture is doing. And so the Bible talks about there being a need for order. Because if you're in a democracy as a marriage, you'll never have a winner. Well, I vote we don't move. I vote we do move. Okay, what do you do for the tiebreaker? Arm wrestle? I mean, how do you have a democracy with two people? That's why fights ensue. The Bible talks about the wife will take the servant role. Now, women, how do you take that servant role? Because you marry a man of God you can trust that's loving you as Christ does the church and is caring for you. And if he says to do something and it's not right, you're not going to nag and complain to get it changed. You're going to pray because he'll have a relationship with God to know better. Now, I didn't get an amen on that because you might not think that's possible. But that's how the Bible says us to have our marriages. He said the husband is supposed to be the head and the wife is supposed to serve the husband and the husband will serve God. And if that man goes off track, ladies, let me tell you something, nag is not going to change him anyway. So you might as well get a man of God and trust that man of God because if it's not going to work that way, it won't work anyway. Dr. Phil's way won't help you. Oprah Winfrey's way won't help you. This is God's way. It's the best way. So somebody might say, well, I tried that and it didn't work. Well, I'm sorry, okay? I did too. My girlfriend in Bible college before I met my booster boo cheated on me, okay? Yes, bad things happen to good people, but that doesn't mean you change the order, amen? Praise God. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in... Yeah, all the men said it. No woman said anything. I want to hear everybody say it. In... Everything. Thank you. See, the Bible talks about the man having to be the head. And what a responsibility that is, men. And, and trust me, women, as we get to the end of this lesson, when we talk about some trouble, if your husband is not being a man of God and he's wearing the submit, or taking the submit card and hitting you on the head with it, bring him around other men and we will get your back and we will help pray for you. But this is the divine order. It's to submit to the husband and everything. If the husband says, go ahead, honey, decorate the house, that's good. But even if the husband was to say, honey, I prefer this. And then the wife goes, well, I prefer this. Well, how do you come to a, a decision? The Bible says, wives, you're supposed to say, okay, honey, it's up to you. 
Now, as hard as that may sound, that is what the Bible says. My wife got a revelation on everything. As a matter of fact, I'm going to call her up since we're already going past our time by a few hours today, and you guys don't mind. Let's give it up for my wife as she comes. Now, just take a look at my wife's countenance. Is this a happy mama right here? Amen. Nancy, I want you to share the time when we were engaged. It was about your haircut, and then you said God spoke this to you about everything. It was actually about how he wanted me to wear my hair and about working out. So I didn't feel like I needed to go to the gym and work out when we, we basically were engaged. And so he was all about working out, eating healthy. I did not want to eat healthy. I did not want to go to the gym. I hate exercising. So, and then about wearing my hair. He likes my hair in a ponytail. So I told him I don't like wearing my ponytail, my hair in a ponytail every single day. He said, I want you to do it at least like half the week. And I was getting so mad because nobody had to tell me how to wear my hair before I made my own decisions. So, and then of course with the whole working out thing, I was just a big, big crabby baby in the gym. So I was like getting really angry, really mad about having to submit to the way he wanted things and how he wanted me to do them, et cetera, et cetera. So I just started praying and I said, Lord, what am I supposed to do? I know that I'm supposed to submit to him, but I thought I was, a, I was supposed to submit to him in the big things, like where we're going to live and, you know, what direction the church is always going to go in, but not about my stuff, you know, my hair, my body, et cetera. And so he took me to this passage of scripture and when I finally read no, no, the Lord took me there when I was praying. <laughs> no, in my, as I was praying, I read this scripture and I found the word everything. I never noticed that word everything before. Obviously, you know, when we're in high school or praying for our husbands and me and Rachel would always be like, oh, we can't wait to submit to our husbands. Yeah, right. So we never noticed the word everything before. And so wives should submit to their husbands in everything that's where I got a revelation. I said, okay, everything I have belongs to my husband, and I'm going to do it with the joy of the Lord and know that I'm honoring God while I'm doing it and being obedient to him. Praise God. And so let me just show you, the, uh, like the Congress and the Senate keep the presidential uh, cabinet accountable. Let me tell you how this works. So if I were to come to my wife and go, oh, that's right, you're going to do this, you're going to wear your hair like this, how many know her countenance is going to begin to be oppressed? She's going to become to be oppressed and depressed. And then now I'm wearing the man card, the man hat, and taking the man card and throwing it down. But what I've done is I've destroyed my own family. So as the husband being the leader, I'm loving her as I do, uh, as, as Christ loved the church. And so when I'm making those decisions on hair, on, on house and makeup and that, I'm doing it with her best interest. Because remember, Jesus didn't need to be saved. He was already saved. He died so we could be saved. And so when I'm making decisions, I'm doing it with her. And then thus, she can submit to it even if sometimes she doesn't like it. Because even if it's wrong, it's better to submit and be right with God. Because then who will come back and convict me? The Lord will convict me. And I'm not just talking about the way she cooks the food and she's like, Take that. I got my hair in a ponytail. You like this? Peanut butter and jelly the rest of your life. No. 
No, as a matter of fact, the Bible actually says that that makes it worse. The, the, the things that make it better for you, ladies, is the more you smile, the more you do it, because the Bible says it puts hot coals on their head, you know? Because if, if God is speaking to me going, oh, I shouldn't have treated her like that. I shouldn't have done that to her. And then she's smiling, and, and God is saying, look, you, you shouldn't do this. You know what? My conscience gets seared as a husband. And how many husbands understand that? Because you're like, man, she's serving God. She's submitting. She's not giving any attitude, and I'm being mean i need to change so women that's the check and balance between you and god and a man of god that's why it's so important and that's why the bible says do not marry a non-christian the bible says how can two be together unless they agree what does light have in common with darkness and remembering going all the way back if you're single now if it's been tore up from the floor up you got a chance to make it right today everybody say amen Amen. So submit to the, the husband as unto Christ. And then number two, let your beauty come from the inside. And going back to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse, uh, verses 3 through 6, talk about how women can adorn themselves. Now, of course we love romance, fellas, and, and that's wonderful. But truly, the beauty is from within. I've read stories, and I even have it in my date like a Christian book where women have gotten into tragic accidents accidents, and the men have divorced or left their wives. How shallow is that? My friends, we know, especially the adults here, women have children. Their body changes. Women, listen to me. A godly man will not put that pressure on you. If you've ever been in a relationship and they did, it was ungodly. Of course, take care of yourself. But that is not the remedy for cheating men is to imitate what Playboy does. The remedy for cheating men is for them to get saved and love their wives. Amen. And so to encourage you, because this culture says if you're not a size zero and look like Barbie doll, which they know anatomically is not even correct, she couldn't even walk or exist and have organs, you know what I'm saying? It, don't let that, stay, that, that style of beauty come upon you. Here's what's in vogue today. Look at your neighbor and say, this is vogue. Look at your other neighbor and say, this is chic. Here it is, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair, the wearing of gold jewelry, and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Amen. So women, you don't have to worry about comparing yourselves with other women. Be beautiful on the inside. Now let's get to children. And I'm going to move a little faster here today. Let's go to Ephesians 6, uh, verse 1. Children, obey. Come on, everybody say obey. And so I want to hear the parents make some noise. Come on, parents, one, two, three. Obey. Children, obey. Your, now I want the children to do it. All teenagers still living at home. If you're 30, still living at home. I don't care. I want you all to say this. One, two, three. Obey. So I don't want no crazy teenager, elevate, what, what, going home, not making your bed, not cleaning your room, telling you, telling your parents, God told me to do it. God didn't tell you to act like no fool up in your house. Amen. Praise the Lord, because Daddy will tell you why he's got a belt around his waist. Amen? See, some of these young people, they come to church with like this naive impression of what a godly family is supposed to be. They don't know my dad spanked me godly. Amen? Put me in the, in the bathroom, spanked me. Some of y'all just need to be spanked. Look at your neighbor and say, are you one? <laughs> oh, praise God. We're having a good service today. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you. Look at your neighbor and say, it will go well with you. Now, all the parents, you know this. You're just like, parents are saying, trust me, son. It will go better. All the mothers are saying, trust me, daughter. It will go better with you if you obey. How many can say amen to that? 
that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on this earth. So the first thing is obeying. And simply, what does that mean, children? When your parents ask you to do something, you do it. When they talk about cleaning your room, you clean your room. My mom used to punish me by cleaning the house. And she said, I've punished him so much with cleaning, I wonder if he's going to rebel against it. Actually, no, cleaning became a part of my life. And how many like a clean church today? Amen? A clean church, a clean life, because my mom taught me how to live clean. Now, did I always listen to that? No. But I want to tell you something, kids. Listen to what your parents are teaching you because it's for your good. I'll never forget when my mom wanted me to learn how to tie my shoes. She said, you cannot go out with your friends until you tie your shoes. And so my friends were around the corner, and one of my friends was a little bit older. He said, look, man, I'll tie your shoe for you. And then you go to your mom, and you show her your tied shoe, and then we'll go all and hang out. So I'm thinking brilliant man let's go do this so i go show my mom look at the tied shoe she goes right down to the shoelace undoes it and says now tie it again Uh, how many of you are happy my mom taught me how to tie my shoes how many of you are happy that your parents taught you to be potty trained look at your neighbor and say i'm really happy i mean that would not be right right now amen if you weren't potty trained So children, obey your parents. Now listen, the word uh, obey is different than honor. Because there does come a time when the Bible says the husband and wife will leave their parents and then cleave. Everybody say leave and then say cleave. So there will be then a leaving and a cleaving. And when that happens, the Bible says that the accountability authority now for the house goes to the husband. And so sometimes in-laws want to have a place in their family's life. Now, according to the Bible, that can only be by suggestion. It's not by rigid obedience anymore because the family now is the husband and wife. Amen? And if you need your in-laws to listen to it, there's tapes in the back. Praise God. Just listen to it, seriously. Around 25 minutes in, it's beautiful. Okay, so, but listen, but what do you do with the next part of your life that's called the honoring? Now, of course, you still do it as a young person, but that honoring means you always give them respect. You're always looking to them for their advice. What do you think, Dad? What do you think, Mom? And my dad called his dad once or twice a week all the time until his dad passed away, and I still give my dad a call like that on a regular basis, seeking advice. That's what it means to honor. Can you say amen? So we're getting some order today. And lastly, for parents together, people come to me all the time. How do we uh, parent our children, which is like pastoring? So how do we take care of them? The Bible says in Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not exasperate. Everybody say exasperate. You've got to say it like you're exasperated. Say exasperate. Parents, thank you. And fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And so however you decide before you get married and even while you're married to raise your children, stick by that plan. We do believe that uh, the, the father still should bring the initial discipline, that he should be the one that needs to paddle. But mothers, if you want to get in on the paddling, get in on it. You know, do it. Amen. You know, but work those things out. But here's the point. This is the check and balance for the children. If children begin to be exasperated, when I see children come to me and go, I'm on the dean's list. I'm going to practice for the piano. I play on the soccer team. I'm at church three times a week and I don't even know who I am. See, when children get exasperated, parents, you're pushing too hard. 
And that's why, parents, you've got to be sensitive to your children. And also, as a youth pastor, I put on my youth pastor hat, I hear sometimes from the young people that they don't feel like they're appreciated enough. So I want to tell you, uh, parents, for every time you say you're wrong to your children, you've got to give them a hundred that-a-boys, that-a-girls, because they need to be encouraged. Children are a little sponge. They take in all you tell them. And if you always tell them they're never good enough, they're never good enough. They're never, even if you're doing it in your heart to make them better at school, you have got to celebrate them. Even if you've got to start with the C, and I'm not saying your child's a C-plus student, but you've got to start there and celebrate and say, okay, you worked hard, but you can work harder. I appreciate you doing your homework, but you need to do it more. If it's always a complaint, if it's always it's not good enough, if it's not, you know, you're not getting married to your 35, we teach them no encouragement. They get exasperated. And the Bible says that actually works to our, 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 our harm because they won't want anything to do with us. Amen. So parents, what do we do? Don't exasperate them. Be encouragers. Be the best cheerleaders you can be. Tell them over and over again. You love them. Hug them. Get in front of their friends. Kiss them. Embarrass them. Hang out with them. Encourage them. Show up to parent-teacher meetings. Go to their football games and different things and help schedule their life so they don't get burnout. out because now there's so many opportunities for them to do things. Help them pick the right thing so they can be successful in life. Amen? And then Ephesians 6, 4, Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And what does that mean? You ask them to go to church. And then if that doesn't work, you tell them they're going to church. Amen? Praise God. Okay, you want to go? No, you're coming anyway. I'll never forget the time I was with my dad, and uh, my way of getting back at him as a, as a teenager was after we went to church that I didn't want to be at, was in the backseat of the car, I told him what I thought about the pastor all the way home. This guy's a bozo. He's no good. Why do you bring me that dumb church? And then my dad just couldn't take it. As a, as a grown man, he took off his Sunday morning jacket and said, all right, I've had enough. Now put him up. And I'm serious. You all looking at me crazy. Maybe our family's better than mine, but this is what I had. Amen? See, see how they look at me when I say these things? This is my family. I have no choice. He said, all right, put them up. And what did I do, Mama? I ran out that door faster than I have ever run in my life. I said, I will never talk like that again. I, won't, I love the pastor. I love the pastor. He's an awesome pastor. He's a great pastor. My friends, I'm telling you, you better bring them up in the training and admonition and instruction of the Lord. You need to tell them, you disobeyed God, you're going to hell. My prayers won't get you in. Sometimes we think that, don't we, parents? We're going to get our kids in because of our prayers. You need to tell them, listen, you got your own decision to make. And you got to teach them from a young age, go to church, live for God. This is not a game. Get them excited, and hopefully our youth group is doing that for you. And then at home, do family devotions. Let them see you pray at home. Let them see you dance and praise God at home. Let them see you enjoy the things of God. Amen? Praise God. I'm just loving this lesson today. Now, here's what happens sometimes in our families, and I just wish I had time to talk about this, but hopefully you've picked up some good things today. But obviously there's problems that come to our family. And so today in closing, I want to give you solutions to your problem. Can you say, help me, Pastor? Here it is. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Live as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing because you were called so that you might inherit a blessing. Everybody say live like Jesus. 
See, when you get in fights, you don't want to insult and, and curse each other. You want to bless each other, even with your children, if they're cursing and doing wrong. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So this needs to be a standard in your family that I will live by God's word. Because if I become evil, think about this. The Bible says he turns his face against you. So what to do in troubled times? Just write these down quickly today in closing. If you have troubled times, you need to make family devotions a must every day. If you're already in that place today, you need to get there. You need to say, hey, we got trouble. We're starting to pray together. Because a family that prays together stays together. Devotions is the best counseling a pastor can ever give you. Be with Jesus. Teach your children the word of God. I'm telling you, you see a rebellious teenager in the home, parents, start having prayer time every day. Well, they're so busy. Do it at 430 in the morning then. Amen. You make time to pray and put the word of God. My mom never let me leave the house without laying hands on me and praying for me. And when I was in the car, she put on worship music. And I can tell her to this day that it was working and it was breaking down walls. Even though on the outside I was getting worse, on the inside it was tearing down stuff. Make devotions a must. Now you might not have trouble, but still do them at least once a week. Maybe not every day, but you need to if you're having troubles. The second thing, work out the problems the day they happen. Couples, never let your anger go down with the sun. Always stay up and resolve it. And once again, if you're doing it God's way, that is the loving leader and the submissive spouse. They're working together and the obeying child. So it's the loving leader, submissive spouse, obeying child. And if you work it out, you can come to peace and go to bed at night. At least you'll know you have solved the problem. Even if the children have an attitude, but you gave your decision, you gave your punishment. With married couples, there should be a kiss and make up after the fight every day. Because when you let yourself go to bed, wake back up, go to bed, it begins to stew and it becomes worse and it begins to multiply and all these other things get added in. So if you end it every day, you know the problem is solved. And then another rule on how to fight like a Christian, which is in the book, don't bring up the past. So you leave the past in the past and get into the future. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, step out your past and step into your future. Praise God. Number three, attack the problem and not the person. Anytime you make statements like you, you do this. You are like that. You say this. You're not attacking the problem. You're attacking the person. Take, for example, a child is not doing well in school. Ask them, what is the problem with the schoolwork? See, the problem is the schoolwork. You might say, well, ain't no problem with schoolwork. It's my child. Listen, your child is not able to do the schoolwork for a reason. Focus on the schoolwork. Don't put it always back on them. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? See, what we're doing is we attack each other. Now, husbands and wives, let's say, uh, let's get one personal with my wife and I. The last time we had a disagreement filtering through my brain, let's think of the last time was, um, when did we have a disagreement? See, we always forget the past. We have a perfect marriage. We never disagree. Never. It's all the time. Roses. I can't even think of that. I know. We always put ourselves on a spot, and I can't think of somebody else going to point it out. That one time. Oh, look at you the other day. Here it is. Somebody help me out. Pray for her. Amen. Listen to this one right here. Remember the time we were in the office, and I had to have Monica leave because we were having a disagreement? What was that disagreement about? The SUM class, there it was. Bam. Thank you, Lord. Boop. Download. 
Okay, so here's the, here's the situation. Nancy and I work together with the SUM Bible College. We need a laptop. How many know the fights are always just silly? They're always dumb. They're always just over just silly, ridiculous things. Am I the only one? Okay, anyways, that's okay. So the laptop needs to be put into the student center. My wife has been using the other students' laptops instead of letting me know she needs to buy a laptop. And so now when the student doesn't come, we don't have a laptop. So now there's a problem. Well, here's where the fight comes in. You should have told me. Remember when I told you that? You should have told me. Nancy, are we paying attention here? Nancy, do you remember? What are we doing? Are we going to start one right now? Okay, guys, give us just a moment. Can we pay attention here? We're only preaching. Do you remember I said to you, you should have known this. You should have come to me. That's what I said to her. And then she went and did it. She scurried on along because she's also the secretary of the church. So she scurried on along. Everything was done. I was the man. I got my way. I'm the pastor. That's my wife. She submitted. And on my way home, putting on the Christian music, son, that ain't going down around here. I'm like, holiness. No, no, you ain't singing either. You ain't, you ain't singing. We ain't talking. Ain't nothing going on until you go and tell. And then I come home and I just say I'm wrong. Because then what did I have to do? The problem is not my wife. The problem is the computer. That's the problem. So attack the problem, not the person. Amen? Number four, praise God. Amen. Thank you. I'll bring more problems next week. Live, live in forgiveness and humility. Everybody go, ooh, that is a big one because you have to forgive. You have to say you're wrong. Let me tell you something. You're not on trial in front of the tribunal of the United Nations. It's just you and your wife, dude. It's okay to tell your wife you're wrong every now and then, okay? Listen, kids, it's okay. You're not standing in front of a stadium with your underwear on in front of your high school. It's just your mom and dad. Sometimes we got to take away the stinking pride and just tell people, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. I messed up. One of the greatest things you could say to people in a relationship, in a family, is I'm sorry. Forgive me. I shouldn't have done that. Life will be a lot better. And lastly, listen to and follow leader's advice. Anytime you need counseling, my number is on everything you get. That's my personal cell phone number. You can call me at any time, set up an appointment, Facebook me, and we will get involved in your life. Amen. Will you stand to your feet and give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Come on. We love you, Jesus. Band, would you come? Altar workers, let's close out today with prayer. We're going to ask today that you would get prayer if you have anything in your life, in your family, that just isn't the way it should be. Don't let anybody judge you. Nobody's judging you today. Nobody's going to look in your life and go, oh, I mean, are you really obedient to your parents or are you really a good wife? Nobody's here to judge you. What we want to do is we want to pray for you. That's it. We want to lift up your family before God. One of the things, by the way, as we're closing out in prayer today, you can always do for me. If you ever want to know, Pastor, what can I pray for? What can I pray for? More than finances, more than the church, you can pray for my family. That is the most important thing on my heart every day is my family. Because if I, and the Bible even says, if my family's not in order, how can I have a family of God in order? So we're going to pray for families today. You may be going through some things. Maybe you're a single mom. Those are the ones that I see so often come to me and they go, Pastor, it's just so hard. Listen to me. We want to pray for you. My mom was single. How long were you single with the three children? Four years. Three children, right? 
Think about that. That's tough. We want to pray for you today. Maybe you're a newlywed couple and, and you're just saying, hey, we, we didn't hear this. You know, we, we came to the church later on and we don't really know anything about this, but we want to get it right because we're starting to feel some, some problems. Or maybe you've been married and, and you've been serving God for years and you're just saying, hey, you know, we, uh, we need some touch-up. Well, nobody's judging you today. And, and Mom, I'm going to ask you to stand up in the front too. Dad will join you when he comes. They'll pray as well today. We're just asking today to be real, especially young people, students, some of you over here today. If there's anything in your heart and you're not obeying your parents, you need to get it right today. Because I've talked to so many young people and I say, why don't I see your mom and dad at church? They say, well, I've invited them and they don't come. I say, well, do you clean your room every day? Because that would be a miracle right there. Think about that. You clean your room every day. Oh, dear God, what happened to you? i got to find out this place that changed you. Where's my other son? The greatest testimony that a young person in this church will ever have of them being a part of church and coming will be obeying their parents. Young people, if you're struggling with that today, we want to pray for you. Let's pray today. Father, I just lift up to you everybody's family today. You know where we're coming from. You know what we've been a part of. And God, we just want to be a 10. God, we want to have things in order. And, Lord, we want to have a family that's blessed. Lord, today we pray that you set things in order and that, God, you begin to search our hearts on what needs to change. With everybody's head bowed and eyes closed, I'm just praying right now for you, whoever you are today, and there's things going on. Father, I pray for those that have issues that they need to work through. I pray today, God, that there will be no pride, no embarrassment, but families will come and receive prayer, husbands and wives. Boyfriend, girlfriend, fiancés, children. It doesn't matter today who they are. God, we want a blessed church with blessed families. Lord, we come against discouragement. We come against that D word, divorce. God, we come against that L word, loneliness. Oh, God, we know you're able. God, we come to the body of Christ, the family of God, to lift up our knees. In the name of Jesus. As the band begins to play, if you need to come for prayer, would you just come now? Husbands and wives, young people, just begin to come. We're going to pray for you before we dismiss. Thank you for your patience today. Don't leave out until you receive prayer. God is good. He'll be good to you and your family.